0: I want to read from the um, 18th chapter of Acts, beginning at verse 24, four verses of scripture or five. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when... If you've ever had that happen to you, uh, you can appreciate Apollos. I've had a few call me aside to explain the way of God more accurately and uh, can identify with that. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. There is an oft-told story, if it's uh, true or not, I can't uh, uh, you know, verify, but I've heard it a lot of times that, that the genius Albert Einstein was uh, going from university to university lecturing on his theory of relativity. And because he didn't drive, he had this, this chauffeur drive him from city to city. And after several times listening to the lecture, the chauffeur said to him one day, I've heard that so many times, I could give that lecture myself. And Einstein said, well, let's see. I, at this university today, they don't know me. So why don't uh, I take the chauffeur's hat and coat, and I'll stand at the back and you can take my coat and tie and give the lecture. We'll see how it goes. So he did. And everything went just like they planned except at the end of the lecture an unexpected thing happened. One of the professors got up and asked a question about the theory of relativity. Well, the chauffeur was quick on his feet and he said, well, that's such a simple answer. I'm absolutely shocked that you would even ask such a question. He said, that is so simple, my chauffeur, (laughs) my chauffeur back here could answer that question, and to prove it, I'm going to ask him to come up and give the answer. And so uh, Einstein, disguised as a chauffeur, came up and gave the answer. Now there are times when you can cover yourself by calling on somebody to rescue you, But most of the time, you're going to have to answer life's questions for yourself. And one of the reasons why so many of us live below privilege is because we don't have answers to life's questions. And the reason we don't have answers to life's questions is because we've stopped expanding our mind. After the last uh, Sunday sermon, a lady came up to me and said, I'd like for you to speak sometime on how to understand the Bible because I've been a Christian all my life and I don't really understand the Bible and I'm not really learning the Bible. I'd like for you to talk about that. And so what I want to do this morning is to talk about the, the expanding of our knowledge of God and about the fact that we ought to all keep on learning. Now, I believe that there are some factors involved in this. Number one, I think we need to know enough to know what we don't know. Perhaps one of the most important factors about you is not what you know you know, but what you know you don't know. Apollos was such a man. Now, I've never heard of a church that has been named after him. There are a lot of St. Mark's and St. Luke's and St. John churches, but I've never heard of a St. Apollos. I've never heard of a church named after him, but I tell you what happened to this young man ought to happen in every church in this country. And I've never heard of a person who has been named after him. I don't know of anybody named Apollos, but what this young man experienced ought to be experienced by everybody in this congregation this morning. Here's the kind of man he was, extremely educated. He came from the city of Alexandria, and in Alexandria was the greatest university of the known world. He was a man with a golden tongue. He helped people literally spellbound with his eloquence His knowledge of scripture was expansive and because there was some kind of uh, enthusiasm about this man, he had a brilliance of life. He was a dynamic individual but there were certain limitations of of Apollos and there are two phrases in this passage that cast a shadow over the otherwise bright portrait of this brilliant young Christian. One of the phrases was, that he knew only the baptism of John. And the other phrase was, is that Priscilla and Aquila called him aside and began to teach him some things about God he didn't know. Now, I'm not going to go into the gory details of all that's involved there, except to summarize the fact that he had a lot going for him, but he had limitations. And he knew a lot, but he had a lot to learn so what do you do with a young man this erudite eloquent educated hotshot preacher who literally holds people spellbound with his eloquence and you have somebody like Priscilla and Aquila just common folks who had fled from Rome because of the persecution of the Jews and they come up to him and say young man there's some inadequacies in what you're doing and saying and there's some inaccuracies in what you're doing and saying, how would you respond if you were Apollos? Are you kidding me? Give me a break. Who are you to tell me what I don't know about the scripture? That's not what he did. As a matter of fact, he listened and he learned and he became better and he becomes the patron saint of everybody who is good, who wants to be better. And he becomes the patron saint for everybody who knows enough to know what they don't know. That's the first thing. The second factor in expanding one's mind is an appreciation that God doesn't need your ignorance. One day a young man came up to John Wesley, this father of modern Methodism, this theologian of, of renown and said, sir, I think you need to know that God doesn't need your education. And John Wesley said, yes, sir, and I think you need to know God doesn't need your ignorance. There is an appalling amount of ignorance concerning God and His Word. I ask, And it goes all the way down to youth. I asked Andy this past week to share with me some statistics he had about young people and their knowledge of Scripture. This will astound you. Thir- only 35% of young people, according to a Gallup poll, that were asked. Only 35% uh, knew all four writers of the gospel. Only 35% could, mention, could name at least four of the Ten Commandments. And 85% said... They never read their Bible alone. Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers, according to this poem, In answer to the question, Jezebel was Ahab's donkey. Jesus was baptized by Moses. And Golgotha, this is the saddest one of all, and Golgotha was the giant that slew the apostle David. Now that would be humorous, and we could chuckle at it if it weren't so tragic. We are overwhelmed with a lack of knowledge concerning Scripture. Let me ask you, suppose someone came to you today and said, I'm approaching death, and I'm not prepared for it. Could you open the Bible and lead them to a, to a logical decision, to an intelligent decision concerning faith in Christ. Or suppose your neighbor calls you today and says, I'm involved in a crisis and I am dealing with a problem that I can't handle. Can you come and open the Scripture and help me have guidance? Or suppose some young person came to you today to say, I'm trying to find God's will for my life, Can you help me from Scripture determine how to discern and decide the will of God for me? I tell you, there is an appalling lack of knowledge. It's the breeding ground of fear. It's the training field for slaves. It is called by Tennyson blind and naked. It was called by Spurgeon, the the mother of impudence, It was said by Shakespeare to lead to darkness and to death. And if you had lived in the days of Moses, you would have gotten the written word of truth so that you would always know the way. And in the day of Samuel, he established the school of prophets so that man would not be ignorant. And in the New Testament, Jesus rebuked his followers for never reading and never knowing the underlying truths of Scripture. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, I would not have you be ignorant. And and Dr. Luke commended the church at Berea because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were really true. God doesn't need your ignorance of mine. I think there's a third factor, and that is a deep recognition and appreciation of the potential of the mind Experts tell us that we only use 10 to 20% of our brain power. Say the experts. 5% of John Q. Public thinks. 10% thinks he thinks. And 85% rather die than think. Show me on television what I'm to do and what I'm to understand, what I'm to believe. Don't ask me to think. The mind is a marvelous thing. What do you do with it? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a mental hygiene program in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, and it all involves concentration. This is how it goes. Concentrate first. Concentrate on the things that are true as opposed to the things that are false. We're so gullible. We buy things we don't need at prices we cannot afford because of advertising that we don't believe in order to keep up with somebody we don't even really like. We are gullible people. And we fall for the false and the phony. Concentrate on the true as opposed to the false. Concentrate on the sincere as opposed to the frivolous. Now, the word sincere in Scripture is, a word, is the word simna, and it translates the word with reverence. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is that we are to think with reverence. Now, I'm not, um, you already understand how I feel about gloomy folks. I mean, I've said enough from this pulpit that we need to learn how to laugh, laugh at ourselves. But there is a time to weep as well as a time to dance and laugh, and it requires maturity to know the difference. And what Paul is saying is, is that a person ought to take life with reverence and that he senses there is something sacred about time and about life and about relationships and about actions. Third, concentrate on the right as opposed to the convenient. Compromise is the word. Henry Clay was a great statesman of another generation in line for the presidency, but he took a stand on a controversial issue. One of his friends came to him one day and said, Henry, you'll never be president if you take that that stance. And Henry Clay said, I'd rather be right than to be president. Now, there are a lot of temptations that are available for you and me to take the easy way, the convenient way. Concentrate on the right way. Fourth, concentrate on the clean as opposed to the dirty. And that word clean is the word hognos and you can get the idea translates the word holy and it's the idea of being able to take this and present it as a gift to God. I can bring my thought life. It's clean enough to present to God. I can bring my language and I can present it to God. I can bring my relationships. What I did last night on a date, I can bring those and I can present them to God. And in this age of X-rated movies and literature, that may be the most difficult of all the suggestions to follow. We are inundated by the dirty. From Madonna to Beavis and Butthead, we are literally sinking in a sea of pornography. It's what Hawking calls a pornographic nightmare. And the language and the thoughts that are projected to us day after day are absolutely frightening. Concentrate on the clean, on the pure. Concentrate on the things that work for peace as opposed to those which work for discard. And the Apostle Paul is talking about an attitude that promotes love and Goodwill and sincerity and love among each other. Karen Maron has a parable called The Brawling Bride. She pictures this groom standing at the front of the church to be married. He's dressed in his tux and he's handsome and, and, and well dressed and groomed. And everybody's waiting for the bride to come in. And so The organ makes the sounds, that triumphant sound and everybody stands to turn to see the bride entered. She enters, her her gown is, her, her wedding gown is torn, her veil is ripped, her arms are scratched, her nose is bleeding and she has a black eye. Says Karen Marion, doesn't the groom deserve better than that? Alas, she said, His bride, the church, has been fighting again. Thomas Brooke, the Puritan, said, When the wolves trouble the sheep, that's normal. But when the sheep trouble each other, that is abnormal and monstrous. And so Lucy looks at Snoopy and says, Sometimes you just bug me. And I'll be honest, sometimes I want to give you a hug. And Snoopy says, that's the way I am, huggable and buggable. I have a a feeling that most of us are more buggable than we are huggable. Concentrate on that which which produces love as opposed to discard and concentrate, he said, on the positive as opposed to the negative so that one finds the beauty and the good that is in everything and in everybody. Let me mention one and then get to the last because of the time thing. There needs to be an understanding and a, and a recognition of what we're putting into our minds because what we put into our minds will shape what we become. Leon Jaworski, the special Watergate prosecutor once wrote, still fresh on my mind is the sadness of seeing one of history's greatest tragedies. For men who had fame in their hands became, allowed it to become infamy because after a while, their goals were of the wrong dreams and aspirations. But what you put into your mind shapes and determines what you will become. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. One last thought, please. We have the mind of Christ. Now the most profound thing that could be said in this sermon is that statement, we have the mind of Christ. That when a person becomes a believer, God places in him the mind of Christ. Every Christian possesses the mind of Christ. And the key to this is to bring our minds in line with and in tune with the mind of Christ. Christ there are suggestion there is a biblical suggestion as to how that happens this is what paul says we are destroying speculations and every high thing raised against the knowledge of god we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of god swindoll identifies lofty things in that verse as those mental barriers we have erected to spiritual viewpoints we they're passed down to us from our parents they from our friends from our colleagues and they're humanistic to the core and they go like this i can't do that that's not logical that's not reasonable i'm not talented I won't even try. Paul says we're destroying those barriers that have been erected to the knowledge of God and we are bringing, he said, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let me illustrate what that means. A guy once said that his teenage son every week challenged his curfew. Before he went out on Friday night, he'd come to his dad and he'd challenge the curfew his dad had placed. He said, well, all my friends stay out later than that. And this father said, every week we, we went through this same process of bringing him into obedience with my law, said the, said the man. Continuously, week after week, day after day, almost hour after hour, We have to bring our thoughts captive to the the law of Jesus Christ. And there is this war that goes on for the mind and our thoughts challenge obedience to Christ and we have to bring these thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. A little boy came home from school, he, he, he lived way up in the mountains and he'd gotten into a class finally where the teacher began to talk to him about his heart, you know, about the human anatomy. He came home to tell his mother about learning about the heart and the liver and the kidney and the lungs. And his mother wrote a note back to the teacher the next day that said something like this. I don't want Johnny learning no more about his insides. Now, what you and I would like to do would be to talk about religious practice and religious life in external images. I'm here to tell you that the most important factor is what is on the inside. It's what is going on in here And what is going on in here? So I want to get up real close and personal with you and I want to ask you some questions. Will you answer them in your own heart? How's your personal life? I'm referring to the real you. When nobody is looking, are you... Personally contented and at peace with yourself and with God? And what about your marriage? Your relationship with your children? Is everything okay there? Are there things of which you are still afraid? Any habits that are out of control? any addictions that you can't seem to conquer? Let me ask you a few if questions. What if you lost, you became ill, and you lost your earning power? What if the next physical exam you took discovers a lump and that lump is malignant? What if you suddenly had a stroke Are you ready to die? Are there still secrets in your life that haunt you, terrorize you, worry so that won't go away and money can't erase? What if? And the exercise of faith is this, that we bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. In a moment, I'm going to extend an invitation just like we always do. And here come the thoughts, not today, not now. Why should I say that I'm sorry? It's not my fault. Why should I confess that I have this sin in my life? Who cares? And the thoughts keep coming and the thoughts keep coming. I tell you, I exhort you, bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and do this morning what God wants you to do, what in your mind He tells you to do. Would you do it? Thus destroying those lofty things raised against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to Christ let's pray together our Father from this place we ask that your perfect will be accomplished in every heart and life and I pray that the thoughts that come would be thoughts we'd recognize thoughts from you your will your way, your word I pray in Jesus name and for his sake now there are three invitations I want to invite you this morning to come and give your life to Jesus Christ to come and be baptized the thought comes well I'll do that later I've got plenty of time no you don't today's the day to come this morning and place your life in the fellowship of the church the thought is why does somebody need to be a member of a church a local church That's not that important. The fact is, it's so important, Jesus died for the church. And the invitation for you to give your life totally to Christ, your mind, your will, your emotion, the thought is, hey, what you do is your own business. What you do in the privacy of your own heart and life is nobody's business, certainly not a pastor. Would you bring those thoughts captive to Christ in obedience to him? Decide to follow him while we stand to sing. We invite you to come.